Hi, and welcome to Third Waves. Third is an intersectional publication celebrating culture, heritage, and diversity. And on Third Waves, we will do the same. I'm Chima Insedo. I'm a writer and director, and I'll be guest hosting today. Hey, I am Tribe, DJ, radio host, and music editor at Third. I'm Rona, stylist, creative director, and founder of Third. And I'm Daniela. I'm a writer, musician, and producer at Third. As you can maybe tell, the sound quality of this episode is not quite the same as what we normally produce. This is because we are all recording remotely from our various lockdown locations, but still connecting with each other, talking about important and interesting things, and hope you'll enjoy this episode nonetheless. On this episode, we will be exploring our individual ideas around how the concept of masculinity plays a role in our society, how to be a man, its oppressive potential, and the toxic effects of mimicking that archetypal image of success. Joining us on this episode is Ashton Atz, a queer, black, London-based artist whose paintings and illustrations feature charmingly distinctive, racially and gender diverse characters that empower the everyday person. In 2018, Atz won the coveted Evening Standard Art Prize for their painting of transgender swimmers, Don't Stay in Your Lane. It's, it's about toxic masculinity, isn't it? This this uh, this episode, and um, to be honest, like every time I hear that now, um, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit <laughs> because it's it's almost it's like not really not in not in a bad way. It's just like I'm, try, I'm trying to find new ways to talk about it. Um, trying to trying to find new ways to um, to make it like less cheesy or let's talk about toxic because a lot of times when men talk about toxic masculinity it's about how it affects them and it's about how it affects their mental health which is all fine um but there's there is no kind of when we talk about toxic masculinity there was there's very little talk about the patriarchy when men talk about toxic masculinity and i mean i mean i, I remember listening to one of carla's interviews and he was like uh, carla's a very well read person and he was like, you know, talking about masculinity, it's like a fad because it's, it's, it's the thing that's in right now. And he's read a few Bell Hooks uh, books, and but he doesn't feel that he has um, the knowledge or the, the, the information. He's not well, well informed enough to, to, you know, to have that conversation. And I, I, I kind of agree with him to, to, to a certain point, but also like I'm like, we kind of, we kind of that's as as I'm like talking about toxic masculinity and about like the patriarchy. I think we it doesn't take that much to look in deep and realize you know how privileged you are and how much you can actually just bring that to the fore and be honest about that. Um, there are a lot of men, um, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, a lot of uh, philosophers out there who write about rebelling against the system. You know who write about. Um, rebelling against capitalism, rebelling against racism, um, rebelling against the monarchy, um, and so on. But um, I don't know, for some reason, 
they don't uh, they don't turn that against the patriarchy for some reason. You mentioned uh, a couple of you know black leaders and people uh, male figures. Uh, Malcolm X famously said the most uh, was it hated or disrespected hated, woman yeah. in the, you know in the US is the black woman. And um, Frederick Douglass as well was one who rallied around um, women in general and women's rights. Um, this is back in what the 1800s. So yeah. um, there is people who are able to see that intersectionality and the need for a discussion to be had and to kind of push the needle further than just like maybe black issue or class issue. Yeah, I hear you. Um, and and I, I, I totally understand that as well. I mean, there were a lot of um, allies, male allies, um, who saw the plight of women and 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 like you know spoke out about it, but they didn't they they really linked it to their to, to the privileges of men. The only way we can stop um, this plight is by kind of like removing my privilege is to remove my privilege. It was almost like I'll I'll champion I'll champion you, I'll speak on your behalf, I'll speak, I'll, I'll have this DS. Uh, mainly because I'm intelligent, yes, and mainly because I'm a man, and and, and you know, in those days, um, the powerful voice, powerful voice, came came from men basically, but there wasn't this, you know, I'll step down, and and you know, men um, are really good at rebelling from all, the, all all those other institutions, but don't know how to rebel from like the the, the powers that the, the patriarchy has given them. Um, but so do you? Do you not think that it is in some ways a first step? I mean, obviously it's not really great to be directing it onto how it affects men first and foremost. I mean, there are many people who would probably say, well, men should come last in in overturning the toxicities of masculinity. There's so many other people who need um, freeing from that first. But I don't know if it, precludes a positive step in those directions i hear you um i, I think when it comes to liberating when it comes to like equal equal rights amongst sexes yes men should come last i i, I totally agree with that um men's voices and men's opinions uh, they, they should they should definitely come last but um um Sorry, there's a cat outside the, um, my door. It's just like staring at me and, and meowing. But, um, um, oh my God. Um, I think bo- both conversations can be had at the same time. You know, there can be different spaces to have those conversations. I just um, haven't been around enough conversations between men where there, where there is this actual kind of like look towards the patriarchy and how to smash that you know, amongst men, if you know what I mean. There, there really isn't. I mean, even Bell Hook says that in her books. That there, there are many books about, you know, toxic masculinity and about masculinity. And it's like, it's not masculinity that's the bad thing. It's like, it's, it's the way, it's the privileges the patriarchy gives you for a certain type of masculinity you show. So... Even yeah. as you're saying that, I'm almost realising how even the word patriarchy definitely feels like it's contained to the realm of like women's discussions. You rarely hear men talking about like the fact they are patriarchs or what patriarchy mean. But I definitely agree with you that like in order to bring forward equality, you need to actually have discussions about what it means. 
and that how to move away well not move away from it but yeah how to move away from it as well I would say you know yeah I was gonna add to that as well it's a bit like um the conversation that's currently happening with the anti-racism movement where it's like the discussion can't always be within the black community as to how to dismantle racism actually this is an issue amongst racists and changing their mind for their thought pattern so if we're constantly talking about um toxic masculinity in feminist groups and um let's say men are certain men are talking about um how masculinity can be toxic in a certain specific narrow way in their own groups as well then we're not having a full conversation the way that our society works and the way that our um the toxicity works is that it's a domino effect and in order to dismantle it everyone's got to be at the table having that discussion for me unlearning things um to un- unlearn toxic masculinity and and to realize like how how the uh, patriarchal structures have affected me I, I, it's it's a huge thing like it's a it, it, it could be like a lifetime's work but um i don't i don't want it to take over the space of other people who are also kind of unlearning kind of trauma you know, caused by the patriarchy. And just because I'm learning, I'm trying to get better. I'm not here thinking, okay, now I'm getting better. You should allow me into your spaces now. You know, spaces that were made to stay clear of um, the trauma caused by the patriarchy. I also get it when, you know, I'm I'm not invited into spaces or when I'm, you know. um, So, yeah. So one of the things that I've learned to do anyway is just to be a bit, a bit, a bit silent, a bit quiet, and not have this kind of unbridled, um, unbridled self-expression. Expression, that's it. So, so I can't. I don't want to just go into spaces and just talk about. I don't know, as if as if I'm some kind of like powerful leader. Talk. I'm sorry, I just want to kind of just be go go to spaces and be and be silent and be quiet because sometimes picking up on people, other people's experiences, will make you see how the things that you've said and done to people how they experienced it, which is which is also quite essential as well to learn. Because um, another thing is like being defensive is just like terrible. It's just like the worst thing to do. But you find when you open up those conversations, um, a lot of people with privilege privileges, when people realize how so- toxic they are, it's so shocking that they, the first thing you want to do is kind of be, be defensive, uh, um, to defend your kind of like your right to be a good person, <laughs> to be seen as a good person. Do you have an example, like you were saying about going into a space and choose, choosing well to be silent and just listen and learn or whatnot? Like, do you have an example in your head when you're saying that or like a situation that happens that you would be comfortable sharing? Um, oh, yeah. For, for example, like when people, when people, when people talk about, talk about talking about men and they're like men are trash or men are this. And it's like. I guess the most initial thing is like some, someone's going to be like, yeah, well, not all men are like that and blah, 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 blah. Or do you know what I mean? And it's just like, I get it. And I know I'm a man and I know they're kind of, they're pretty much talking about me, but it's like, um, that's not, that's not the hub of, 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 of what they're talking about. That's this, this, you know, it's the expression that comes from, from dealing with that kind of trauma again and again and again. And it doesn't, it doesn't, to involve myself in that by kind of saying, oh, not all men are trash and not all men are, are bad. It's just, it's just not getting the point. So I have to, like, if you have that kind of privilege, like if you're, if you're a man or if you're, uh, if you're white in the Western world or anywhere in, around the world, 
if people are coming to you and saying white people uh, have done this to the world or white, whatever, let's tear, tear the statues statues down. This is not a, an assault on you or your history. It's it's you know, it's how people respond to the trauma. Chima, I would say that's a really important point you just made. I think like learning to listen is part of the ways that you stop taking the burden of like the the victim almost. But then I I would say like silence, knowing when to listen and learn is important, but it's also equally important knowing when to use your own voice. Because I think sometimes when when we're unlearning, it's important that we just sit back and we listen to other people. But once we've learned, then it's important that we like find a way to use our own voices to like intercede like intercept into conversations which we can as well if you know what I mean and just using the conversation like a man in a woman's space um when a woman's talking about like gender discrimination or you know uh sexism I think that's a good time for them to be to be silent but a man in a man's space talking to other men around these subjects that's a good place for that man to be vocal and in a weird way like the latter space, in the latter space, it can be harder to speak than in the other space because you're kind of like defending yourself when you're speaking to a woman, right? But when you're speaking to other men, you're taking on the responsibility of educating people or not educating people or like, you know, challenging people even, if you want to say that. No, yeah, I totally get that. Um, in the poem I've written, I touched on that a little bit and I have friends who, are, who have, who have uh, sexist ideas, have sexist ways, ways of thinking and... I can't just, I can't just cancel that person from my life because I know that um, I know that throughout my life I've um, I've used I've used that I haven't even questioned that privilege of mine just being a man and and even today something there's certain small things just by just by, by way of being tall and having and by way of having a non-threatening face I can get into spaces and and you know and be seen as um, um, be able to be productive. Um, yeah, you, when you know, when men are in a space uh, of men, it's, it is very is very important to to speak up and to interrogate, as opposed to cancel and say I'm not going to be in a space anymore. Because I mean, if you're privileged. How triggered are you really um, to sexism or even racism if you're a white person? So, so I mean, I I was on Facebook the other day and I was there was a lot of there was a lot of um, white people posting stuff about race. And their white friends are just not other white friends are not getting it, and they're like, oh, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop talking to you." And it's like, "Well, you know, you've only just started to be misun to be like misunderstood. Like black people have been misunderstood when it comes to the race for ages. So it's almost like not your right to start canceling those white friends. It's like you have to actually keep keep the work going because it's not easy. And and that's what that's that's a form of allyship, being able to um, act as a I don't know as a as an educator to people as privileged as you. Do you know what I mean? Not just going into spaces where there's black people, where there's women and hanging out and hanging out there. As a as a man who who seems to be very engaged with this and you, you seem to do a lot of self-reflection around this these topics do you have any advice for people on how they can help how they can better speak out on these topics do you have any do you have any like positive experiences of 
um, confronting maybe like a fellow man and on some of these toxic ideology and, and succeeding and how did that go? Like if you have any stories like that, I'd love to hear it. Um, I mean, I mean, there there are there are stories like, of course, my close friends have, have got it the, the worst. You know, what I mean, <laughs> I've seen that when we're in situations when it's normal to be like toxic amongst uh, around other men, we're very different, and we actually interrogate those people, no matter how slight. But um, I, um, I just I just say just keep just keep going, especially if it's if it's your close friends. And because if it's your close friends, like if you're, let's say if you're white and, and, and you have, and all your close friends are white, you, there has been racism in that, in, in that group of friends. There has been, whether it's come from you, whether it's come from your friends and everyone's kind of like, there's been a point where everyone's been okay with it. And now is a, is a time when people are actually wanting to make big, the deep changes and, and actually saying that that's not okay anymore you kind of have to just continue having that conversation. You can't just leave. And when you, when, when you keep having that conversation, it's either they, the toxic person leaves, um, which happens sometimes, or they actually, you know, take, they actually, they actually learn something eventually. Because the more you repeat things, and this is, this is the only reason, this is the only reason why the patriarchy is in, in such control, is because it's just, the, the information is constantly passed down and repeated and repeated and repeated. So the more you repeat, this this kind of new information, it will stick somewhere. That's, I think that's how going I back to that point um, earlier about when some sometimes people get defensive and they say, "Oh, not all men." I only recently um, f- like heard about this hashtag that was going around al- alongside the Me Too thing, which was like hashtag no, um, Yes All Women, and that's like a response to men responding to these stories like, oh, but not all men are like this or whatever. And the writer I was reading at the time, Gia Tolentino, who's a great essayist um, on, you know, internet culture, feminism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, she was like citing this incident where she was walking along with a friend, like a guy, and then somebody on the street like shout something obscene at her. And then his respond immediately was like, oh, but you know, not all men are like that. And she's writing about how yeah, we know not all men are like that, but yes, all women have been subject to something like this or this kind of experience. And I think that kind of just really crosses over to all this discussion, this kind of like the awareness that these effects what are pervasive. Everyone has felt it in some way and not getting complacent and thinking like, oh, this group or my group of friends here are immune to it because no one is. I was going to add to that. Yeah, I think um, fighting toxic masculinity and patriarchy ain't necessarily a male versus female thing. Uh, Women can contribute to patriarchy or toxic masculinity as well and be detrimental to other women and to reinforce it against men, you know, in unhealthy ways. So I, I kind of would say that men kind of the guys that were going around creating a, a counter argument or counter hashtag to me too I think misses the point a bit like with racism when let's say uh black people say certain things like oh that white person can't dance it doesn't have the same detrimental effect to um society and to that person as would let's say um not a, not interviewing someone because of their name on a cv and you're right like um in in the world of the patriarchy i guess men 
um, Athena survivors, Athena's the more the, the intelligent ones, the one that go, goes out and makes money or goes out and kills for their country or you know, do you know what I mean? Goes out and protects protects their, their family. And um so women have been taught to make space for that for years, just just so they can survive. There can be like women who almost will use, can use patriarchy to almost get ahead as well. If they're going to get to the top, they almost need to employ the exact same tactics. I hate and like yeah. protect patriarchy in a, a weird way because to work against it might not serve them. You know, like sometimes you hear about like feminists who are happy to go so far in terms of like uh, women's empowerment but like are basically keeping the same system or the same structures in place. So that's just like another way in which women sometimes can even be complicit in patriarchy and, you know. As a way of, as a way of, as a way of surviving or even like. A way of thriving. And it's like, it can be the awareness that like, you know, you might be the minority there. Hey, I mean, listen, like a lot of, like it's been, it's been recorded from since the whole nine to five uh, Monday to Friday working hour became a thing. It's been recorded that men have always have always loved it. It's never been something men men have enjoyed doing. <laughs> so, uh, given everyone the right to do that, it, it it doesn't make the space any any less toxic. To make this to make capitalism run, you still need a certain type of cutthroat person, man or woman, and and that doesn't that doesn't do anything to help. Um, the, the psychosis of kind of like of of gender and equality and also just this just self self-worth and self-care it doesn't need to do anything to help that but in terms of just protecting yourself and uh, and just kind of like you know trying to find a certain income income for yourself uh some people just have no other choice but to but to work in those spaces and if they have to work in those spaces then they want equality and if equality looks like acting like a man and and in order to receive that in order to receive that promotion or you know i was going to say politically um with having more men represent us politically both here in the us where they decide on certain issues like social welfare for mothers and um you know in in the us abortion rights and, th- and things like that it the control of our actual body and existence and not having enough people in the room to kind of, you know, say, no, this is a perspective that we need to be taking when handling situations to deal with women. Um, So even like uh, that whole movement right now about um, not having taxes on um, pads and all those kind of things, that's a perspective that is being pushed because it's like actually why do we you know tax these products that are essential things like that like I think when we have more representation in spaces not just as people of color but women as well then our perspective becomes more of a and and I say it's it's toxic because it it's because we're being it, it has an effect on us but also it has an effect in the way that men are able to project the way that, you know, they see women and apply that into the world. It's just like, also like having, having more people of colour in the workforce. I mean, that's what's happening at my workplace now. Everyone's talking about how to bring more people of colour in the workforce. And my, my whole thing is how are you looking after the people of colour in your workforce at, at this moment in time? Do you know what I mean? Because again, like to have a workforce that's, that, that, that has departments that's kind of like, 99.9% white middle class and there's one 
black person or person of color. I mean, that's that's something that's been created, and with with that with that environment, they come, they will they will come, and I've said this to a workplace, there will be some sort of like racial paranoia simply because they're the only person of color in that environment. They'll like there'll be things said that you wouldn't know whether wait, were they being racist or were they not being racist? And same in the same environment, like if there was if it was 90% men and there was one woman, there's always gonna be a a, a gendered paranoia where you know you're thinking, did they say that to me because they're hitting on me or they're being sexist? It's just it's just it's just what happens when there's 90% of one type of person in the works in a workspace. And then you've just invited only a few a few people of color. It's just that it's just going to happen. So it's like almost accepting that and realizing how we're going to look after um, that that ten percent before we grow it to twenty percent or thirty percent. I almost believe that it's better that things happen chaotically than they don't happen. Then you take your time about them because otherwise, society that like the power sister structures in society stay the exact same. But you can't wait for the institutions or the workplaces to work out how they're going to cater more women before they almost just have to bite the bullet and start inviting women to the table. And I'm sure they, you know, put them in enough senior positions. These women will almost tell them, not tell them. I mean, like that, that shouldn't be their job. But I do hear your point that retention is like a major issue as well, because sometimes these people just think that they're going to like, you know, take on a massive influx of like POC or women employees and that will solve their problems. And that's, that's like very short term. I think that's a really interesting and great point. This, this idea that if more people can back you up, then the message will be heard more strongly. Um, I can only speak of like being a woman in a, in a male space um, being that I'm very white passing, I don't really get as much, um, racial, like microaggressions at work, or, but, um, like the difference between just having like one other woman being in the room when someone says something really weird and being like me being shocked and trying to articulate something whilst like raging inside. And there's other person just says, saying something and then this triangulation happening just makes that conversation less heat, less charged and less heated. And so, so I guess in a way it's like you were saying, like think about how you treat that one one out of ten person that you currently already have. But if it can quickly become two or three or four out of ten people, then and it doesn't, it just becomes a less vulnerable place as well for that one person. I, I hear you. I hear. I, I totally hear that. But I'm, I'm almost like okay. So picture me in a workplace and uh, a, a colleague of mine thinks that they've he's, he's like suffered some microaggressions. And with all the work I have to do, um, he he's only his only way to express that is to, is, is to come to me maybe at lunchtime or, or whatever and speak about it. Um, I just don't think it's enough. I think there should be a department like if if you've got a, if you've got a work environment where there's a huge majority of one people and 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 a small majority of of another. I think you have to actually make space for them to actually go and have these conversations without thinking, oh, oh, if I speak to my manager, then they're gonna they're gonna have to speak to this person, and they might get sacked, or they might there might be some sort of like it might it might get written down. I just want to be able to speak to I just want to be able to have a department where I can speak about this paranoia that is inherent in being the ten percent in a in an organization, you know, and it shouldn't have to be. 
that I have to go and speak to my, my other black colleague and burden them with it because they didn't come to work for that. So, um, like, and also, like, black people shouldn't be going to work, or women as well shouldn't be going to work, um, suffering microaggressions and taking it home with them, unless, unless they, unless the, the company, you know, <laughs> puts that in their paycheck, you know, say, oh, this is an extra five grand for the racism or microaggressions you're going to take home with you in this organization. If you're an organization that knows that um, um, there's a majority white or majority male, you have to have those departments set up because there will be racism and there will be sexism. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think it's almost, it goes beyond even having the department sometimes. I think it's about like making sure that the people in the majority get the training on understanding that they're in the majority. And so I think if it, if training and, um, you know, things like this were like integrated into like work, workplaces, and that would be a great way to to like make that happen. I mean, I don't personally work for an institution, but just speaking to friends I know who do, it, it feels like sometimes what happens when you do have like these sort of like diversity departments or like HR, a HR person who manages these things, what can happen is that you go and you report what's happened and you expect them to go and like, um, you know, investigate it, deal with it, uh, and that to be the end of your job. But what can happen is that the HR person might ask you still to step back in because they feel like they can't, this is a conversation that you and them need to happen. That still happens when you have a HR department that is supposed to deal with these issues. And so for me, I, I think a real change would happen when you start starting to deal with these issues before they even happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, like think about things like... Um, rape culture yeah what why are we leaving it until a woman says that they're, they're, they're sexually assaulted to deal with rape culture no we need to educate before that happens on what rape culture is how not to be like someone who does it and that's how you stop it from happening it can't just be about like okay cool well when it happens we'll, we'll have someone who's going to deal with that person because that's the current system we have and i don't think it works very well I was going to actually um, add to that, uh, especially when it comes to uh, rape culture, about the way in which um, masculinity is portrayed in media, in which we all internalise and replicate. Um, so one of the things that I saw was um, these different tropes that we see in films with men in it, such as uh, like a loner, uh, cold and aloof, anti-hero, no patience, um, scowling, um, guns, like not being feeling any way about killing people, um, what else, gritty, and the way that they treat women in, um, the, in films, let's say James Bond and things like that. It helps to perpetuate these kind of narratives of what a man is like. And we all gravitate to these characters that are seen as iconic and loads of guys say they want to be like them and loads of women are like, those are the kind of guys that they like. And it helps to kind of enforce that toxic masculinity on both sides because some of these traits aren't healthy. You know, it's not something that we should be aspiring towards. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're definitely right. Um, and for, uh, until we start unlearning um, certain Certain patterns, um, we're always gonna we're always gonna feel a bit titillated by the things that um, have, have been thrown at us um, from when we were young.
asked it. I'm just going to ask you some questions. I've been reading Bell Hooks, The Will to Change, Men, Masculinity and Love, reading that recently. And mm-hmm. I've got this kind of um, WhatsApp group of like the mandem. So <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Does the patriarchy remove like emotions from um, from men and young boys? And the, the, and what came after that was like, what is the patriarchy? So a lot of men don't even know what that is. And I don't know, I'm gonna ask you, what do you think? What do you think the patriarchy is? In your um, I would say that it's just um, you know, the way that our society is structured to kind of uphold um, I guess like the masculine ideal or a society that's that's led um by sort of like what a man looks like or what um society's ideas of like what masculinity should be um so i think that it definitely shapes the way that um people perceive themselves to be so that can affect like men women people in between because there's a certain standard almost that we should adhere to and how we should live our lives like in response to it um in my life in particular i would say that um I think that like a lot of people, cause I, I, I'm like, I present masculinity, but obviously I'm, I'm not a man and I don't, I don't want to be a man, but I think it's like a lot of people feel that, um, you know, will read me as so, or think that because I present in a certain way that I'm trying to emulate a man. Mm. So like everything like links back to, to man, like to men or like how, how males are presented or how they should express. Yeah, um, sure. But yeah. What about you guys? Hmm. Patriarchal, patriarchy, I think, is, yeah. the, is, is the structure in, in society that we have that, um, how would I put it? Let me find the words for this. <laughs> in society that we have that maintains a system of having males um, specifically white men at the top mm. of the hierarchy and we're all feeding into that hierarchy into that, yeah. it's it's yeah. the way that our society's been built it's the groundworks i really like the um this what the word you use there like groundwork for me like the only way to visualize it is is like someone's built a house with mm-hmm. how it fits them and how like they want the rooms to be how big the room should be what like function each room should be and everyone else is like invited to live in it, but yeah. it's already been built. And to to then be like, oh, I'm not sure this fits the way that I want to yeah. use the room, or I want to express myself. Then it's like really difficult because the house is already like a solid thing. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. I yeah. Or even yeah. worse than that, where it's not even just how I want to live, it's detrimental to the way that I want to live or my actual existence, you know? Um, and that's that's harmful. But not only are the people who are benefiting or have the best room in the house um, are the ones that are, you know, living the best life, no, it also harms them in their own way as well. And that's it, that's the toxicity as well. It affects everyone in the house. Let's say the vibe of the house is affected by mm. the fact that the house has not been built correctly or no longer functions in the way that it needs to in a society that we exist in. Definitely. I was having a conversation the other day with um, my friend who is um, non-binary and they present in quite a masculine way. And they were saying that for them um, living in, like obviously the society we've got, which is a patriarchy and 
like this strong narrative of masculinity, but that it's done in a quite toxic way. Um, they feel that it was quite harmful to them and how they saw themselves because they are constantly trying to um, almost allow people to perceive themselves as equal to to a cis man, um, to like a, a cis white man and the privileges that they have because as a um, as someone who was assigned female at birth, um, it was like they, they had to go that extra mile to prove themselves um, and kind of work to have the same rights or the same... Um, the same kind of status as what a, a sort of white man is born with. So um, when I first asked you what does um, patriarchy mean to you, you said like, although you're, you pass as, as I guess, male, or you don't want to be a man. No. Like, um, can I ask you, like, when you were growing up, would, would people have called you a tomboy? Or would people yeah. have, like, looked at you doing boyish things and thought, like, stop that, or, like, you're not supposed to be doing that? Or do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, definitely, definitely. I growing up, I was um, always a tomboy, and I've kind of remained this like consistently throughout my life that way. Um, like, I'll give you an example. Like at school in sixth form, I remember getting my hair cut for the first time, and it was like a kind of fade, um, like a really short hairstyle that I had. And my head of year kind of told me, "You can't have that hairstyle." but it was the exact same as what all the guys had in my year. And I was like called in and was told that I'd be suspended for having the haircut, which everyone, like wow. all the other boys had. So it's like, wow. I feel like not that I was ever told by like family or, or friends, mm. oh, you can't be this way. But I definitely think there are people or structures in my life growing up that tried to deter me and like sort of become a different person. Mm. No, I hear you. There is, yeah, and that does exist because I mean, again, reading Bell Hooks too is like there are there are people who there are families who try their best to not um, let toxic masculinity inside the household, um, mm. but then it's like there's huge competition once the once your children go outside and they have yeah. to experience other institutions and and like it's like almost how do you prepare how do you even prepare your children for that. How did you like? How did you kind of like get through those experiences? How did you? What was your What was your way? What was your way through them? As um, it were? I feel like I'm lucky to have a family that are very um, open minded to just a lot of things. Like I think about my parents, and they're they're very much like on equal footing. Like I think a lot of people they have like a kind of domineering parent or one that's a little bit more like. Not not aggressive as in obviously like physically, but just more of the kind of like dominant dominant parent. And I've never really had that. Like they're both they both kind of stand on equal ground. Um, so There's I think no that power structure kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. No no power. No hierarchy between them. No power structure. Yeah. Um, and then I think for me, it's just kind of always having that that kind of internal internal image of what I look like and how I feel, which has kind of led me on the right path. Wicked. So that's yeah. Okay. So in a way, that's how that's how gender has shaped your life. Um, how is yeah. how is how has gender shaped your work as an artist? That's a good question. Um, I think that for me, I look at what's out there in terms of stereotypes and how gender is structured in our society. So you've got, you know, kind of um, men should be one way, women should be the other, and then there's 
not really much space for anyone else in between that we see represented. Like you don't see in mainstream art or media up until of very recent representation of, you know, gender queer people or non-binary or just androgynous people, anyone who doesn't fit within that binary. Um, so I think it was just literally looking around me and looking at the people in my life who come in all different shapes and sizes, like all my friends, my community, um, you know, just people, just people that surround me and looking at them and thinking, why are these people not seen anywhere else? Why do I only see them? Why, why don't I see a film and see people like this or listen to a song and there's lyrics by these people? So I think it was just kind of literally putting paint on a canvas of what I see and who I see. Interesting. Um, I can relate to what you were saying. Obviously, I don't personally identify as um, non-binary or trans, but I've, I've always been a tomboy growing up um, mm. and uh, have always been queer. Well, not always been queer, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah. And I do feel like there's definitely... The, Growing up, there was definitely that pressure of like um, working out how your authentic self in the way that you see yourself um, and the way that you feel to express yourself fits mm-hmm. into this model of femininity. And how does that fit into the bigger, greater model of, you know, um, men, women dynamics and all that kind of stuff. And it for people who don't fit into it comfortably or it, that isn't their reality. There's always that kind of struggle that you have to all turn up turmoil that you go through, um, especially um, in your teenage years when yeah. you start to be more aware of yourself and the way that you want to carry yourself and, you know, walk through the world. Definitely. And I think it's, it's like, you've got to think as well how um, masculinity and femininity can be quids. I think, they look completely different on queer people. Um, like what we see as masculine in a like cis heterosexual context is so different to how you might see it in a queer context. Mm. I don't know. I think it's, it's kind of you, you mix and take what you want. And I think that masculinity and femininity or whatever, um, you know, energy you want to apply, I think it's, it looks different on everyone. Um, you know, I don't think there's one way to be, masculine or one way to be feminine um i think i think for me as a as a straight man who's always like grown up wanting to be first because i used to live i live in bermondsey grew up in bermondsey so i went mm-hmm. to like an all-white primary school and i wanted to be i wanted to be one of the one of the geezers <laughs> <laughs> wearing chelsea boots supporting arsenal or Millwall or whatever and then i went to peckham <laughs> and i wanted to be one of the mandem and it was like yeah. there were so many kind of like things i had to um had to adapt to I mean I'm the youngest in my family like Mm. I got my my sister my brother so in terms of power I didn't have much power in the household anyway Mm -hmm. it was it was always given to my to my brother so I had to kind of learn what power meant when I was in these schools um, having these fights and having you know trying to rearrange myself I think it's still at 36 years old I'm still trying to figure out like what balance of uh masculine and feminine that that sits comfortably with me yeah without me trying to you know um subdue it in certain environments knowing that these guys would like me like this and okay these guys wouldn't mind me doing this kind of thing so yeah and it's and that's that that does i'm not going to say that's because i'm oppressed it does come from a a certain privilege i have because i can Mm. easily just kind of speak a certain way or dress a certain way and no one will turn up everyone will turn a blind eye would see me as a straight passing male and give me the privilege that I 
that being a straight passing male um, uh, gets, I guess, in certain situations. But I know that if I came in, into that same situation, um, talking a different way, speaking, uh, dressed a different way, I know mm. that, you know, I'll get the, an attention that I'm not used to, which is like akin to, you know, women being catcalled or yeah. or trans trans people being looked at um, oddly in, in public spaces. And I know that exists. So in a part of me is like, oh, I'm just going to, as a straight man just yeah. so I can get through the day kind of thing do you do you feel like there's ever like a certain um pressure because you said about kind of balance and like how you can adapt to certain situations like do you feel there's a pressure to kind of um what's the word like maximize one or take take one at, at, basically what I'm trying to say like do you feel do you feel like there's ever a pressure to sort of pick one or to fit yourself into a certain mold depending on what situation you're in I think there was pressure when I was younger because the world was, was, so, was so much smaller and people could, like, young kids could say whatever they want to each other and mm. nothing would happen. Now, like, you can't, if I, if I went to work in a dress, people might give me awkward looks for a little bit, but they can't say anything to me. Yeah, you know? that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but back yeah. in the day, if I did that back at school, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't go down well. It wouldn't go down well at all. So I think it's like, for me, it's like, uh, I just have to kind of, if I wanted to wear a dress, mm. which I've, I felt like doing, <laughs> I have yeah. to just yeah. kind of like, I have to really kind of like, get rid of all the things that I've learned and just do it. Mm. And um, mm. because there are people out there doing it. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, so, I yeah. That's I just... super interesting. Just, just to kind of like maybe going slightly off topic, but in like the codes and how, what we find permissible to um, comment on, because mm-hmm. you were talking about like, if I went to work, people might have judgments or think things, but won't say anything if you were wearing a dress. Um, whereas like kids might be quite brutal with each other with this kind of thing but mm-hmm. yeah um Ashton you were telling us the story of like you just not even like you know you just got a new haircut and but your head teacher in that context like I feel like if if a colleague of the head teacher came in with your haircut he wouldn't be taking her mm. away yeah. saying oh I've, your your haircut's problematic. You're going to get fired if you don't sort mm. it out. Whereas to someone who's technically a child, they yeah. felt like he had that authority to be like, sort that out. And it's almost yeah. like this, this a weird kind of liminal situation going on where like there's a there's a there's a crossing over where to, with younger people and kids, there's yeah. like this sense that like you've got to sort it out. Yeah. Like an adult perspective, like yeah. you're doing that thing of just like kind of like putting out into the world what they're getting in without much filtering, and that's their learning process. But whereas like adults are still like, I can do something about this. Yeah. Like then when you get into adulthood, it get, gets more complicated. So no, I don't know. Kind of made me think how the, there's a difference there. I wonder Definitely. as a teacher whether um, they felt like they had to, I guess put you on the right track of what these social codes are, if that makes sense. Like, this is how we do things. I think as well, like, I was thinking about this earlier, and I think that race comes into it as well, because the school that I went to um, when that happened uh, was a predominantly, like, like you, Chima, like, my school was predominantly white. Like, obviously, at the time, I had a, it was like an afro, and then this, the sides and back were cut really short and like, faded. And I think that, 
as I said, the the boys who were all white had like a fade or whatever. But I do think as well that my the type the type of my hair, the texture of my hair, the way that it classified itself as more extreme played mm-hmm. into it because they always kind of brand black hairstyles as extreme or unprofessional. Extreme. Yeah, okay. even though it was the exact same in terms of what I had done to anyone else. But okay, I've got this question and uh, this last question for you. Like, um, how do you go about <laughs> fighting the patriarchy? And if so, which ways do you fight it? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I feel like I was thinking about this. Um, well, it was actually about a year ago because something happened and I made a post about it on Instagram recently. Um, I was on a train um, coming back from Brighton Pride with a friend. And um, long story short, basically, this guy was harassing me and my friend. Um, and one of the main reasons why he was doing that was because he could not tell like what, what I was like, he didn't know whether I was a man, woman, like, I don't think he just, he just had no clue. And one of the words he used to describe me or refer to me as was it. He was like, what is that? When he was speaking to my friend. So I've always kind of had, um, that if you like ability to confuse people. And at one point I thought that that was a privilege. I think because often I am read as, as, as male or as a boy or whatever. I think, you know, that can, can in some circumstances work for me because, you know, um, more feminine women or whatever are going to be subjected to kind of more harassment from a different lens or different perspective. But then also I remind myself that it's not always like that. I mean, being the way that I am can also cause problems. It can anger people. It can confuse people to the point of, of rage and it can be like, you know, point against my safety. So I think understanding that presentation and like actually who you are and not the same thing when it comes to safety, I would prefer just to be who I am and be authentic and live authentically. Um, so in that way, I would say that that's how I live um, and fight against the patriarchy because the patriarchy essentially does want everyone to be a certain way like the hierarchy as the way it is like men at the top women at the bottom that kind of thing and then within that you've got all these other subcategories um so I think yeah I mean I think as well like as an artist I mean that's kind of me in just my personal life just living authentically trying just to to not worry or care too much about um what others think I think that's the most healthy thing that anyone can do if you're in a position to be safe but on a sort of artistic or professional level, um, my work that I create, like attempt, well, I try my best to educate and to change things by highlighting things in society, representing people, using my platform and Instagram to speak about things. Yeah, just using my voice in, in professional ways and in personal ways is, I'd say, how I can or how I try to um, resist against the patriarchy. Oh, thank you. Guys, I actually have a question to to throw out to all of you, um, which is like, at the beginning, you were talking about how do we define patriarchy and obviously how we define or experience toxic masculinity kind of also falls into that. Um, and 
I just wonder, like from maybe like a personal perspective, how does toxic masculinity present itself to you? Like, how do you define it and how does it affect you in your life? And like, if there was one thing that you could do or that you could just ask the world to do to try to temper the toxicity just like one thing for people to stop doing or one thing that you want to stop doing in your reaction to toxic masculinity, what would that be? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um. Cause I will, I, I, I can start. Um, Cause for me, I think one of the things that at, in, at this particular stage in my life that comes through the most um, is that I feel like, patriarchy or like toxic masculinity has instilled a lot of doubt in me in my abilities as Mm -hmm. a professional um as in my personality traits um in how I want to express my opinions like can't always having to temp for example just on that last point having to temper being quite an opinionated person and being quite confident and whether that's being too overpowering and then I'm kind of caught in between this sense of like well, I shouldn't be too overpowering because that's not a nice way to be. Like people don't enjoy being around that energy. But then at the same time, like, oh yeah, but then if I don't voice my opinion, I'm being like oppressed and and not speaking my voice and over justifying myself when I when I make a point, etc. And so and so quite often I find myself a bit stuck in that limbo and stutter in making my points in meetings or whatever, all these kind of like really cliched situations. And so I feel like for me, one of the one of the ways that it presents to me the strongest is that doubt, like doubting how I'm behaving and how I should be assertive and strong, mm-hmm. but yet not overpowering. And um, yeah, and I think I think that's probably one of the things, and 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 that would be something that I would want to to try to do less of, like have less of that doubt without corroding my sense of being humble and kind. Yeah, I would say um, a key thing to do on for everyone is to question everything, question um, the, the reasons and the motivations behind things. And I know it can get um, problematic when you're too on it and you're questioning to the point where you're almost losing track of um, you know the point in the first place. But I think within reason, question everything have conversations, dialogues with people and listen, you know, um, I think that's one of the powerful things to do because then you start to question the structures that are in place, what is behind it. Like the example you gave as to um, whether, you know, seeking up in certain situations and, you know, being yourself in a sense of being an opinionated person, whether it serves you and why do you feel that you can't in certain situations talk the way that other people might do without any kind of fear of judgment. So even just that ability to question is doing the groundwork to make those change, those changes. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, should I should I go, Ashton? Should we leave you to do the last to have the last yeah, say? <laughs> Take it away. Um, I think for me, like I, I'm very. Like I can be very male, like straight male passing. Um, so I can enter a place where people assume 
efficiency, assume in, uh, that I have some a certain level of efficiency, a certain level of intelligence, certain level of power, uh, and a certain level of strength. So um, when I go into those environments and people find out that maybe I don't have that level of efficiency or power yeah. or whatever, yeah. I have to kind of like, for, for me, I, I have to teach myself. I'm, I'm teaching myself how to be okay with that and how mm-hmm. to, to to know where that comes from and, and know where that anger comes from with other people and um, whether they're men or women and, uh, and and address it as that and rather than like like a very kind of like personal like attack on on on, yeah. on me on who I am do you know what I mean um, because if they because when they were when they when they gave me that privilege to start with I wasn't I, I was I didn't feel hurt by that so <laughs> so I can't now feel hurt when it's been taken away so yeah, yeah. no I I agree I mean linking it back to kind of um, from a queer perspective or from um, an LGBT perspective, um, I think that often people see um, particularly like masculine women or masculine sort of people that were assigned female above, that kind of thing. Um, I think people have a certain of expectation of how you will be. I think that because... Um, masculinity in society is is seen as a certain way because it's often performed by well always performed by cis men um heterosexual men most of the time and it's got this certain way of looking I think then it transcends into other bodies or other communities where people are just going to assume oh okay so if you're a butch woman you're going to be exactly like a straight man straight masculine macho man kind of thing um, like people have often been surprised when they've met me, like people, when they see pictures of me and then when they meet me and they interact with me, they're often like, Oh, I didn't know you were going to be like this. I thought you were going to be like way more kind of like macho or like, you know, even queer community in the queer community with, within relationships sometimes, or whether that's romantic or platonic or just whatever. I think that people often think that if you present as the more masculine one, that therefore you're going to be dominant or you're going to be this way or going to be that way. Um, and I think with that, it, it, it kind of, that perpetuates toxic masculinity because within the queer community, within um, LGBTQ plus spaces, it's meant to be a void of all of that, um, you know, a void of those structures. It's meant to be a kind of free liberal place where people can express and create their own identity. So when we're taking the structures that are put on the rest of society and practicing them within our own, that is toxic. Really my, my whole, my, my whole thing that I've been talking about is more just about queerness and masculinity and how masculinity can, can be queered. Yeah. So, um, Ashton, thank you so much for, for joining us on this, on this episode. Um, (laughs) How do, if people want to keep up with your work and follow you and the things you do, what would be the best way to do that? Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me as well. Um, it's been really cool to be on the show and chatting to you guys. Um, so yeah, the best way to, to follow me or to find what I'm up to is on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is at, and then A-T-T-Z-S underscore. So at, that's Great. it. One of the negative things about like 
masculinity when it becomes quite toxic is when it's seen as being quite rigid. I think it's way more useful or, or like, it's way more useful when we think about gender as like a spectrum and like a social construct, because I, I definitely think gender is like a social construct and like masculinity yeah, is just like one iterance of it. And I think men can be masculine, but they can also be feminine and women can be masculine, but we can also be feminine. And I think there needs to be more embracing of this idea that there is strength in both masculinity and both femininity in order to almost deal with toxic masculinity for one, but also move away from it. Because if you're able to like combine those two things, then masculinity doesn't become problematic. I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I totally agree. So the Bell Bell Hooks tells us that the first act of violence that patriarchy demands of males is not violence towards women. Instead, patriarchy demands of males that that they engage in acts of psychic self-mutilation, that they kill off the emotional parts of themselves. Um, which is which is quite interesting. When I when I read this, I I I, I screen grabbed it. I took a picture of it, sorry, and I sent it um, to to my friends, like a, a WhatsApp group of guys. That, um, um, and I asked them um, if they believed this, and a lot of them didn't even know what the patriarchy patriarchy was. They had they had no idea what it was. And um, and then I sent I sent them another a screen grab from Bell Hooks explaining what patriarchy is. And so we just and and we um, and the conversation just kind of veered off onto kind of how important it was as men to to control their emotions, like controlling your emotions is the most important thing. It's like figuring out where you are, what environment you're you're at, and then what emotions you use at any given environment, at any given place. And I'm just like, wow, do do you guys really have that much control over your emotions? And do you like do you know what I mean? Is is like, are you literally like going to each and every setting and thinking, okay, this needs anger, this needs reserve, this needs, you know, do you know what I mean? And it's like, um, so yeah, I think a lot of a lot of men deal with emotion by way of kind of figuring out or figuring out how to control control them, rather than figuring them out first. I don't know. Um, it's interesting to hear because I kind of feel like um, em- emotional management, like. That sounds really co- like cold. What I mean is like being able to um, moderate your own emotions is a really it's a thing that everyone should should try to be able to do like through meditation or whatever. This is what people talk about, isn't it? Like managing your yeah. anger and whatnot. But I don't see that it's necessarily that men are particularly good at going to an emotion, uh, going to a situation and being like, what is an appropriate emotion here? To me, it's more like just reacting straight away without consideration. That's how I see it. Mm, exactly. I would, I would say that um, rather than managing emotions, maybe what's being taught through society is to mute it. So like you said, um, Daniela, not necessarily exploring it, but um, working out ways in which if you feel certain levels of um, fear or you feel to cry or certain um, emotions that are deemed unworthy in society. And I think it's a problem in general um, with everyone, but particularly with men. Yeah, almost like inwardly muting emotions, but outwardly just like expressing it in a default way that 
only men can get away with. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what we're almost talking about is like some of the ways which toxic masculinity takes its shape. And I think anger is definitely one of those ways. A lot, a lot of the times it's figuring out how to deal, deal with your emotions as a man. The first thing that comes to your head is always going to be a bit toxic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's always going to try and take you back to that state of power that you're used to. Okay. Should I, should I read this poem then? All right. So this, this poem was like, um, just trying to just trying to like navigate to see um how to even speak on or um on like masculinity and the patriarchy and yeah bell hooks has helped so much um and also the ref the references that she's left in her books as well like she leaves you with a, a plethora of books to read even after you've read hers um so this is kind of like this poem poem is pretty much paraphrasing bell hooks in a, in, in a certain way. So I'll just, I'll just, read, I'll just read that to you. Um, read this to you. When does this is just how stars align come into it? When can I blame indoctrination and be given a space like the others? The others I've helped other. When would my version of exhaustion no longer shine a light? on more than just my privilege? When does dress sense, common sense, no spark play a part? Surely they deserve their own separate heavenly body so that my unbridled expressions brew me as more exotic than toxic. And if I'm toxic, do as you wish to do. If you leave, I won't hound you. If you stay, protect your frankly newer self. You and the so much more informed, all the black authors sold out on Amazon journey you are on. Protect you first. Do that thoroughly, then come to me. Me and my finding ways to feel respected. A place where I've already raised my voice or disconnected. This is just how stars align. Define the patriarchy. To me, it sounds like a bird of prey, some say, broods beyond the view of my race and class. So I too can play the wounded bird when it strikes down on my race and class. Bell Hooks tells me the patriarchy strikes first for my emotions. So I, of course, wanted to prove her wrong. Took my emotions down to a party. Showered the whole thing on a black woman who popped to the toilet and never came back the same. Came back hiding parts of herself as if I were a wounded bird in falcon feathers. After that, I pitched my emotions to my best friend gave him everything, to which one-worded returns was all he could offer, beyond last week's telling me how to fix things proper. After that night, my emotions went back from whence they came, because a thing that doesn't listen should be a thing that swallowed whole, feathers and all. That's how to take control. 
That's how to hide the stench of fear we're told and make straight women feel repulsed. So don't blame me for assuming dominion. This is the very same dominion that rebelled with the world against capitalism, rebelled with the world against racism, planned a coup d'etat against the monarchy. And even today, most people's points of entry starts from a dead man's body or a dead man's copper statue. Assuming dominion is the great mistake, Bell Hook states. Letting others do the emotions for you has even less of value. When not even you know from where within your pain is carried into. But are certain one day it will convert into rage. Better to turn this dominion against your dominion, even if you're too far gone from the authentic self. Unlearning is the new literacy, then an emotional literacy, and then endless repetition. And if that battle of attrition is one day won, shunning your privileged peers is the next great mistake, not because it's too early, but because it's too late. I thought it was interesting, um, kind of referring back to what we were talking about earlier, um, when the mention of talking about it to another woman in a party or club and her just kind of awkwardly <laughs> getting out of the conversation and going to the toilet. Um, it is, for many people, uncomfortable because it means addressing the way in which they know and the way in which they know is the question about having to unlearn and when, where we unlearn and how we unlearn certain things or have address what we have to unlearn. It's um, just an interesting one that is raised through your poem. Yeah, yeah totally. And, and then who we burden this, um, um, you know, like these hidden or these tucked away emotions, who, who we burden them with. Because I know we talk about men like, well, my friend's saying that, you know, I have to choose where to show my emotions. Like, they hide it in every facet of their lives. And then when they go home to their families, that's who they burden it with. I've done it. I've sometimes I've been given the space to be, to, to share my emotions. And then when it gets a bit too much, um, I, I could see in people's faces that, wow, I wasn't expecting this much, you know, vulnerability kind of thing. And then people just don't know how to deal with it, you know. But also, they don't have to say stop because they've already welcomed it in. They've already said, "Yes, speak to me, talk to me about it. I can deal with this." But when you when they realize they can't, they don't know how to physically or like vocally say, "Okay, okay, this is where you know I can't, I can't go any, I can't go any, I can't help you anymore here." And I've I've been in situations where you know, I've I've opened up the space for someone and I've I've had to close it because you know like it's like this is where you get help. And I can't help you. And the person has really like turned on me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really liked the bit where you there's a line that you say, like, um, well, we know like straight women don't like uh that sort of man or something like that. And for me, I just thought like that was a good way into talking about like how society also or like you know your own paranoias about like what you should be based on society almost facilitates um 
masculinity, you know what I mean? And maybe some of the tos- toxic elements of it too. I got that bit from, I think there was some, there was, there's this research um, where um, they, they bought all the stents of a man who was like anxious and, they, and one who was like really confident. And they sprayed, the, um, they spray, sprayed it around women who were who at the work desk. And the, uh, the, the research showed that um, we, where women re- reacted with repulse to the smell of the anxious man and um, as opposed to the smell of the confident man, which is, um, which yeah. is kind of, I, I kind of I understand guess, that. Kind of. I guess if you bottled up the smell of an anxious woman and a conf- like a confident woman, the, probably the anxious smell would be repulsive as well. I mean, this kind of like... Would it be? Or would it, would it, would it, would it, call, would it call for the man to want to, to, wanna, you know, be the saviour? <laughs> I don't know, man. This kind of like, Nate, na- like, oh, men were gathering things and women were cooking at the, at the home. Like, this is... This kind of like biological, like retrofitting of like hormones and shit. It's so- I don't think it's biological. I think it's something that that we um, genetically uh, became predisposed to living in, in the patriarchy. <laughs> I'm almost just wondering yeah. whether the anxious man just sweated a lot more. I swear. True, 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 true. There's so many reasons for this. Like, <laughs> but also, that, can you say that someone can be? Um, questioning the patriarchy and have confidence in it to not give off the so they can be very aware self-aware i mean i feel like the anxious feeling is something separate to patriarchy it's just i think there's this is this this kind of thing that's really different between race and gender where it's like gender race has got to do with like a lot to do with like who's human and who's not you know and uh gender has a lot to do with who's weak and who's powerful? Do you know what I mean? And how to express those uh, those um, ideas of being powerful and, and being weak. So, so men are like it seems anyway that men are very kind of cautious, wary of showing any kind of weakness or vulnerability or, or like anxiety. They cover it up with a sense of kind of like they use domination basically to cover it up. So, so and if if, if men have kept doing that for hundreds of years. Um, there will be a smell in the air, wouldn't there? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, good, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's the thing. It's, it would be good to get to a point where people own those, like, a negative emotions. And obviously it will, there's still going to be uh, an impact in probably the what they excrete into the air. But um, if we have a healthier relationship with these emotions, um, even the negative ones, we could still, if that makes sense, if, if a guy yeah. owned his vulnerability, for example, um, and he wouldn't necessarily give off certain biological signals that would trigger yeah. a woman to necessarily go away. You get what I'm saying? I'm saying, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It, I, yeah. There's more, I think, to it. Hmm? That whole test is flawed. I think this is what this whole conversation. Yeah, I agree is showing how that whole test is flawed. It's totally flawed. I, I agree. Yeah. If you were in a non-patriarch, non-toxic utopia and you got anxious and put that sweat in a bottle, I'd probably still be disgusting to smell. You never know, though. You never know. You've never lived in a non-patriarchal, non-racist society. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Thanks again to our amazing guests today, um, Ashton, 
whom you can follow on Instagram at A-T-T-Z-S underscore. Thank you for tuning into Third Waves and stay tuned online at Third Magazine on Instagram. That's third with three eyes. I'm Daniela. I'm Eunice. I'm Chima. I'm Rona.